I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Wandandi people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We need to value that sense of smell so much, which is, which is why wine is so endearing, because it does conjure so many different memories and every wine is different. It's incredible. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Virginia Wilcox is a powerhouse of winemaking wisdom in Margaret River. As chief winemaker at Vass Felix, her custodianship of this historic estate is not lost on her. In the haven of Abrup, Virginia joins us today to shine a light on one of Australia's most coveted wine brands and tells us more from her 30-plus vintages in Margaret River. Hi, Virginia. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Absolute pleasure. You know, I really feel like maybe you should have had a drum roll or kind of some entry, you know, entry music or something. I've been dying to have you on the podcast and the day is finally here. Woo! <laughs> that was a great introduction. Sorry, I think that was just as good. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, you've done your fair share of podcasts and um, I've listened to all of them and they've been amazing. So I'm going to try to be as original as possible, but we do have to cover a few topics today. That is, one is you, two, it's Vast Felix, and three is the amazing and idyllic Margaret River. So I thought we'd begin at the start. Um, your parents owned a vineyard a bit north of Perth where you grew up. What's your first moment or memory of noticing wine and when did you decide that kind of wine was the path for you? Oh, moment of noticing wine, I think, was all my parents and their friends drunk, laughing, having a really great time after, you know, either picking or pruning because we just got friends to do it. It was a bit of a, you know, party come up to the farm camp. There was no house or anything on the place. It was camping and working and uh, big barbecues and lots of drinking at night. And I guess that gave me a sense of freedom because the parents were all having fun with each other. They didn't really care what we were up to. (laughs) That's perfect. And, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of wineries and brands almost do start like that, the kind of camping, very kind of um, holistic way of being. And you obviously saw them really happy and you could go and get up to mischief. So I love it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it was it was one of those things. I mean, I just love being at the farm. I mean, when growing up in Perth, I grew up on the beach and that was beautiful. And there was, you know, a beautiful sense of freedom near the ocean. But just going up to the farm and being in the, you know, beautiful wilderness of the, you know, there was a beautiful creek that ran through there. There were wild mushrooms growing and it was just, I don't know, it just gave me, I just felt a country bone in me. Mm. I think more and more as we see the world changing these days, do we kind of remember those moments of being a kid and and smelling, I don't know, campfires and the crunch beneath our feet when we're out in it because, you know, these days we've got a screen in front of us so often and we think, you know, how amazing was it to have a lifestyle where we grew up outdoors? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we played on the street, went to the beach by ourselves, you know, full, you know, farm freedom and wilderness. It was just just joy. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not a computed person, <laughs> even though I managed to get on this podcast somehow. Um, the, um, but I'm, I'm very much, you know, a land-based animal. Um, you know, I love the, the earth. I mean, I love swimming as well, obviously. But, um, you know, it's a, it, it just gives you that sense of real you know, I just, I, I find the whole computer world so unreal, 
you know. Yeah, definitely. And it's so bloody hard to navigate. Well, it certainly is for me. (laughs) So you decided that that was something that you wanted to be a part of. Um, And you travelled around. You made wine in Italy, Albania, New Zealand. Uh, What place made the most significant impact to you in in the approach to kind of winemaking in your travels? Oh, look, it it was probably Italy. You know, I had all my, um, you know, the fellow students who used to, everyone used to go to France because it was, you know, legendary Burgundy or Bordeaux and that's where everyone thought they needed to learn how to make wine. But for me, going to Italy was this strange land with all these varieties I'd never heard of before. I loved Italian food. I love Italian people. They're wonderful. Um, And I guess for me it was just that, the, the thing that I – it sort of dawned on me years and years later how, why I think about the structure of wines and how different varieties behave differently in different places is having a completely open mind about what the shape of a wine can be. And I think that sort of, you know, really diverse education of different varieties and different places – I worked in three different places in Italy – That just what an impact that had. And, and I think it just made me look at the, the structure and shape and perfumes and weight of a wine in a really different way. Mm. They certainly have a way of kind of um, encompassing culture and food and drink into a lifestyle, don't they, the Italians? That's something that, you know, we can certainly, well, we probably have learnt from, but they, they do it in such a way that really feels a part of their identity. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, for me, you know, the world is a tough place for young people, but if you actually realise that the only things you really need in life is food and shelter, I add a bottle of wine to that as well, of course, because that's a need, Um, (laughs) but they're the only real necessities of life. You know, and I think, um, you know, you've got to ground yourself in going, well, if that's important, then we should be looking at the produce and, you know, looking at the food and produce that we get from the land as the most important thing you can possibly live by. Hmm. I I, I often um, find that a hard not a hard lesson to to learn, but the fact that these days we are so removed because it freaks me out that I said I couldn't, you know, make a fire to to start my life. I couldn't build a shelter, you know, if I was in the bush. We are just so removed from those things these days. And I think, shit, I've got no skills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've always tried to embed myself around those skills, you know, <laughs> being able to grow a garden, being able to make wine. They're the, the necessities. I totally agree with you. So let's um, let's fast forward a little bit to you securing the role at Vas Felix. Um, I will definitely mention here, if you haven't heard the story of uh, Virginia applying for the role of Vas Felix, but actually not knowing that she was applying for the role of Vas Felix, head over to Cork Talk with TimAiken.com, which is an amazing podcast. And that story cracks me up. But where do you start when you join such an iconic brand so young like Vas Felix? Take us back to your first few days or months at Vas Felix and what that was like. Oh, man. It, it, well, it's just been a constant journey, really. Um, but I think that, you know, the goals of Vas Felix, I, I mean, I'm a, I got to start at Margaret River because I believe in Margaret River like you couldn't believe in anywhere else as a, as a place of uniqueness and such a different and beautiful place in the world to be growing grapes. I mean, you know, grapevines are very adaptable. You can grow them anywhere. But, you know, for years and years, 
I've been discovering that growing grapes here in Margaret River is different to anywhere else in the world. Um, and I suppose I, I, I knew that in Margaret River. I knew Margaret River was special, but, I, I you know, in a lot of ways I didn't know why. Um, and I, that, that journey just continues. Every year that goes by I learn something new about why, you know. I did the Cape to Cape walk last year and – I, you know, I can't believe I've been here 30 years and I've never walked from, you know, lighthouse to lighthouse, you know, about 130 kilometres day after day just discovering what this Cape has. And there's over a thousand different um, plant and animal species that aren't found anywhere else in the world. And you go, whew, actually, I just learnt that last year. Wow, there's another point of difference. So I guess for me getting to Vas Felix, it was like a, you know, it was a very successful commercial winery. You know, the brand was quite healthy. They, they were selling a lot of wine. They had beautiful connections. But I never quite found that really special edge to the wines. And I think Paul Holmes at Court, he understood that. He was going, we're successful, but we're not, we're not the best. We're not the most unique. We're not standing out in a crowd at the moment. So that was, uh, that was a mutual goal that we had to take Vas Felix to the next level. Um, and I think that was, um, you know, the very first year I was there, we had a meeting and it's like, you know, we're trying to get goals and, you know, strategic planning and things like that. And it's like, well, who do we want to be? And I just went blurted out with this, one of the greatest states of the world. And everyone just looked at me and went, that's a bit ambitious, <laughs> you know, like, don't be silly. And let's just start with being the best in Margaret River. And it's like, ah, okay, that's a good goal. Let's start, let's start there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to be honest, you know, 16 years later, I think um, Paul, the marketing crew, um, all of our team, we genuinely believe that we could actually be a greater state of the world. And it's like, holy moly, that thing that we mentioned 16 years ago is actually looking like it's in our sights now. So... We've just got to let's just keep going. Let's just keep finding that beautiful diversity. But I think, yeah, just getting there. One of the the first things that I wanted was a the winery that looked like a great estate. Now it's always a bit tough, you know. A lot of Australian wineries are big sheds. You know, we we put down some concrete. We don't have caves, and we don't have you know hundred year old you know, crazy old buildings that you're making wine in, you know, we've got these big sheds. But I went, how do I make this look and feel like a greater state of the world? And it was, you know, it was just polishing a few edges that just gave a sense of pride in the team and a goal. Just painting the middle bands of the barrels was something that I was inspired when I went through Spain. You know, I went to Rota and went, whew, that looks pretty impressive. And I went, what if we did that? Would that actually give everyone a sense of pride of uh, an another level of where we're going? And to be honest, I think mentally it changed everybody's headspace who works in the cellar because they don't get to see, they don't get to taste what's in the wine. They get to see the results of their job, which is unstacking barrels, filling the barrels, stacking the barrels back up again. But when they get the bands right and they do a stack and it's beautiful and they've got all these bands, they go, ah, look at that. I feel like we're a greater state of the world. So just little things like that, you know, were things I just put in place that just made not just – it can't just be me feeling like we can 
reach greater heights. It has to be everyone in your team. Yeah, totally. I think it's amazing that you mentioned that because, and and for listeners out there, in case you don't know um, what Virginia is talking about, and it's something I noticed as soon as I walked through your winery too, is is that you painted the band. So in the middle of the barrel where the kind of bunt sticks up, the ferment often can leak and and, and overflow and, and stain part of those beautiful, incredible oak barrels. And so it's the painting of it, of that middle portion, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it just means that it's always going to have red wine, so why not embrace that, the whole band? <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it really it looks like a piece of art when you walk into a winery and, it, and it's something that you've um, made a point to do. But it, like you said, it gives us a sense of, you know, even from the smallest detail, we're taking pride and we're noticing what we can do. Um, I just think that that is such a beautiful representation of just how ingrained you are into somewhere like this and the minute detail that you've gone into. So that's just perfect example of that. But talk to me a little bit about the founding role of Tom, uh, Dr. Tom Cullody, um, and he's him back to Margaret River. There are a few names that we always have to kind of speak of, I think, in Margs, and that's like, you know, uh, Harold Olmo and John Gladstone. But you worked with a man that was hugely um, influential in the region. So can you describe a bit about his personality, his impact, and, and I don't know, any stories you'd like to share about the man that I never got to meet? Um, he passed away, sadly, in 2008. Yeah, look, I only um, met him oh, in 2007, which was the year after I'd started at Vass Felix and Paul Holmes at Court and I had lunch with him. But he actually hadn't been to the estate for, oh, you know, maybe 15, 20 years um, because he sold it to David Gregg who then sold it to the Holmes of Court family soon after it and he just, I think because he was so emotionally attached to it, he just had to say goodbye and it wasn't the direction that he wanted it to go in to sell to a, you know, a big um, wealthy family and he was like, well, he thought he was selling it to his winemaker. Um, so he kind of had to say goodbye to it and left it behind. But then Paul reconnected with him and it was really, really beautiful. He was humbled and graceful and just so great about Paul bringing him back into the fold. And Paul said, we want to make a wine with your name on it. Um, and he was like, oh, woof, 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 you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but uh, sadly, he he. he well, he had already passed away before we actually released the Tom Cullody. Um, but he was he was an extraordinary character. Like he wasn't someone who suffered fools. He was a very intelligent man, very forthright in opinion. Actually, one of the great, the other great memories was when we had the fortieth birthday, which was also in two thousand and seven. Because um, from 67, when the first plantings were in, Tom was invited, John Gladstone's was there, David Gregg, his first winemaker, was there. It was just amazing, you know. It was um, all the founding wineries were invited. Um, it was just such a great event. And we opened 25 years of Cabernet. But as I was standing there and I was actually um, talking to John Gladstone's, who's also an absolute legend, and Tom Cullody walks in, and he comes storming through, because we had it all in the barrel hall, storming through the barrel hall, sees John, and he goes, Gladstones, I've got a bone to pick with you. And I just went, oh, and I just stepped back and went, I think I better leave these guys to it. 
And it's just, you know, just small statements that John might have made that Tom didn't necessarily agree with. Tom was very, very intelligent, very opinionated, but he wasn't just, you know, I mean, Gladstone's has done so many great scientific um, books, you know, um, and obviously Tom has read them, but he was also a great historian. You know, he um, he read all about the first, um, you know, first ships that arrived in the Margaret River region and the whole establishment of this region, which is why we call Vass Felix. Um, it was Timothy Thomas Vass in 1801 you know, who disappeared off the coast and it was such a great story. So, you know, Tom was fascinated by all those historical things. Just an uber intellect, you know, one of those people you get a bit scared having a conversation with because you're not really sure you're going to say the intelligent things. (laughs) Yes, totally. And in the end, yeah, and that's the worst thing you can possibly think because you probably do end up saying something stupid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) totally. Hopefully they don't notice. (laughs) Yeah, he was a fascinating character, one of the unique and great people, you know, from our planet. Virginia, you've been making wine in Margaret River for over 30 vintages and around 15 of those have been at Vass Felix and you've been instrumental in the development of the brand. So how... How, you know, all those fundamental changes, what, what do you feel most proud of? What, what do you take away from your time? Yeah, look, oof, that's a really good question. But I'm, I guess for me, um, yeah, um, it goes back to the question you asked before, what did you do? I mean, for me, it was so important that I understood every block of grapes that we resourced um, you know, at Vas Felix, that we understood what those blocks were, what they contributed, who they were in their most sort of transparent form. And I think that's how you learn to classify land and you learn to understand the land is by listening to the fruit and how it wants to come out the other end. Um, so I suppose that, um, you know, Every every year we learn something different because not only have you got, you know, you've got a block of grapes on its own unique soil, but every vintage it behaves slightly different because that little patch of soil might prefer that vintage over that vintage. So you've got this incredibly complex array of personalities that come from every little block of land. And for me, that's a, you know, it's such a beautiful thing to be involved in. You never get sick of it. Every year you find some little diamond that you never knew could happen, but it's because those seasonal conditions just gave it this amazing beauty. So I'm I'm constantly fascinated. I love, I mean, this time of year for me is magnificent because all of the 2022 vintage are just, you know, coming out of ferment or, you know, the reds are going through malo. Um, some of the Chardonnays are doing malo, but they're coming out the other side and you're starting to see, you, you go, oh, I didn't realise that was going to be quite that good. It always looked good, but wow, how did this occur? Just beautiful structure, beautiful characteristics, and I, I just love them. You know, and I think it's, I guess, part of the journey for me at Vast Felix was to um, drop off the, you know, the additives that that whole world of um, manipulating wine to fit a marketplace, but actually making the wines that reflect the land. And I think that's that's been a huge transition. Um, and I guess, you know, that's also the transition from becoming a, good, successful commercial winery to being a greater state of the world. 
and that's kind of how we felt about it. We now know we have some magical parcels of land that, um, you know, they're what we think is Margaret River's version of Grand Cru status. You know, we've got beautiful patches of land that are magnificent. They're kind of Premier Cru status. So finding those plots is the constant journey. And I just hope generations after that, after me, will continue that journey because the personalities need to need to be expressed constantly for you to find the best of the land. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think what I'm getting from that answer is that your most um, proud accomplishment is that you've been part of VAS and it just goes to show your love of, of all of it, of all the, the hard times, the good times. Um, but when I think of defining features of VAS Felix as a brand compared to perhaps others in Margaret River, because you've got so many incredible brands there, um, but as I always think of things like the fact that you were talking about that you, you ferment all your plots separately, um, your work with, um, you know, no adding yeasts and kind of natural slow ferments, your unique Cabernet clone, um, you've been such a huge pioneer in those really fundamental changes and you continue to be. What's happening next for the future? I know that there is that, I don't know how to say it, Idafix? Idafix, yep. <laughs> the Blanc de Blanc. So what's happening for the future of VAS and what's, I mean, you seem like you're learning something new every day and, and what's happening in the next couple of years you're excited about? Oh, my God. It's the, um, well, we're kind of, um, we're working, I guess, the budget up vineyards that we've, um, you know, we've been working with for the last um, seven years. For me, there's, you know, there's a lot of um, vineyard renovation going on there, I guess, where, you know, it's a it's a 20-year-old vineyard and we've done a lot of work in, you know, we've pulled certain patches out because that variety doesn't really go there. Um, you know, we've done a lot of little trial grafting blocks to see if maybe Chardonnay suits there better. But we've got a lot of replanting to do um, and getting the right varieties in the right place and the right vine density. They're really incredible projects to be involved in. And we've got, you know, we've got seven years of knowing the quality of the fruit from um, this property is just incredible. And it's just making sure that it's the right, structure, health and everything for the for future generations. So you got to start now. You can't ever stop um, thinking about the next generation in the wine industry. You know, it's it's a um, it's not about now, it's about the future of how much better it could be. And I think that's that's the most exciting thing, I reckon. It's all in the vineyards. It's all in the understanding Margaret River more, you know? I mean we've got vineyards in Willie Abrap um, but we've also got vineyards in what we call Budgetup or some would say Wallcliffe, um, south of Margaret River. And we grow different varieties on those properties. And the difference, and it's such a short distance, the difference between the behaviour of different varieties on those two properties are amazing. So we've found that, you know, Shiraz grows so much better in the southern part of Margaret River than it does in the northern part of Margaret River. And that's given us the chance to use those bits of land that are beautiful Cabernet land that we had Shiraz in to get rid of that Shiraz there and get the Cabernet in and then move the Shiraz down south. 
And that's, um, you know, and we would have, you know, we were sort of backing away from Shiraz thinking, oh, you know, it's not, it's not really a Marga River thing. But we didn't realise until we really established ourselves with a great property in the southern part of Margaret River that Shiraz is a thing and it's actually more like Syrah and it's elegant and beautiful. Again, take the pedal off the metal. We're not an Aussie winery. We're a Margaret River wine region that has um, very unique properties. We can't make wine like anyone else and nor should we try. So we're finding all sorts of new ground. Sauvignon Blanc's taking on a whole new world of, you know, we're fermenting on skins, we're in large format. It's a savoury, crazy, beautiful textured wine now instead of, you know, that tight, acid, really, you know, refreshing, zippy wine. We're saying actually it could be, it can be so much more than that. So we're very much a savoury house, though, I have to say. You know, when you're, when you're working naturally with wild yeast and things like that and not, not manipulating things, we're all about that beautiful, the savoury elements of wine. What was it, you know, Margaret Rand made the greatest comment in an article, I think it was last year or something. You know, uh, what was it? The um, children eat fruit, adults drink fermented fruit. So we should be talking about the fermentation characters, not the fruit characters of wine. So wine, our tasting notes, all about the beautiful savoury elements of fermentation. And I'm like, oh my God, she's a woman after my own heart. That's what I love the most. Yeah, I think, and it's also the excitement, but also the hard to put your finger on, hard to describe elements that stops us sometimes. And it's it's that mystery of like trying to look further and trying to figure out what's the word for that flavour or that aroma that I just can't get my head around that is so intoxicating about wine, isn't it? Um, oh, my God. I can't. I was actually literally on Friday afternoon, you know, the old after work having a few drinks and we were talking about the science of smell. And when you think about how on earth aromas go up your nose into the retronasal and then somehow communicate to your brain those thousands of aromas we've smelt in our lives, how the hell does that communication pathway occur? And you start spiralling into a, oh, my God, I can't think about it anymore. The human body is way too miraculous for me. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's what's a bit of a shame is sometimes people go, you got what? You know, weird um, disintegrated cork mixed with um, oyster mushroom fungi and people think, what a wank. But the thing is, is that we all have such a different set of experiences and they just you know, those aromas bring it back. It's like you could be, you know, five years old and you've smelt something and you're like, holy shit, it just transports you, which is why it's so wonderful. But there are these, the more you get into it, the more you hone your palate and your nose, the more you're able to conjure up these incredible memories that, you know, for a lot of people just sound like you're frankly making it, making shit up. <laughs> yeah, but you know that through these COVID times where a lot of people have been losing their sense of smell and taste, you know, from having had COVID, sometimes comes back, sometimes not the same as before. But there's massive research going into, you know, the the effects of aroma on humans. And it, apparently it is the only sense that goes directly to your the part of your brain that senses um, memory and emotion. Everything else goes through the motor part of your brain. I'm saying this very badly, but everything else goes through the motor part of your brain that triggers response, whereas smell goes direct to emotion and memory. Without smell, 
we don't have that direct connection to memory. So you can actually lose memories in your life because nothing triggers them to come back. Like, you know, um, the smell of grandma's apple pie. You may never remember grandma again because you can't smell apple pie. You know what I mean? And this is a, it's really, it's quite incredible. And we, we, we need to value that sense of smell so much. Which is, which is why wine is so endearing because it does conjure so many different memories and every wine is different. It's incredible. <laughs> I totally agree. And I think that, you know, um, putting, uh, you know, whether it be young children, whatever, putting um, a, a vocabulary to their sense of smell and giving them, giving them the ability to, to say, you know, stop and just smell this and tell me what you say is, is so, um, so rewarding. And we, and we should be, like you're saying, putting a real um, importance on, on honing that for each individual as well. So um, I want to talk Margaret River though, because I'd really like, I've heard you speak a few times and I've always loved your opinion on just what you think makes Margaret River so unique in terms of wine. So I want to talk about classic dry white or SSB blends. I want to talk about Chardonnay and Cabernet. And if you are to taste them in a lineup of blind wines, how do you identify them? And I'm not saying, I mean, they're also different depending on who makes them, but what do you kind of um attribute to that Margaret River-esque element um, between wines that are quite highly um, built on craftsmanship, like Chardonnay, for example, and Cabernet blends, but also in in representing sight. Oh, oof, man, this is a really big conversation. Uh, <laughs> I've just got a million things went through my brain then. But I guess, you know, for me, it's a, it's a really funny thing, um, Cabernet and Chardonnay, because I think Margaret River, when you look in the Chardonnay realms it has a it's a powerhouse of a chardonnay they've got density weight richness you know um beautiful acid line it's they've got so much going for them but then when you flip side to cabernet we're actually some of the most beautiful elegant cabernets in the world so you've you've got you know you've you've got two two different hands telling different stories our white's our big guy and our red is our elegant guy and I think that's, you know, that's a really beautiful, um, I guess, line of where Margaret River is from a climatic temperature, sea breeze, all the things that create these elements somehow allows Margaret River to do both of these varieties, both in what I would call the most attractive form, like I love a powerhouse of a Chardonnay, you know. There's, you know, you get some beautiful light Chardonnays, elegant Chardonnays, they're fantastic. By the way, we can do that too if you get further south in Margaret River. Um, but it's just I love transparent red wines. I love wines with shape. I don't like big, heavy, muddy wines. I want wines that actually have a, a shape. They have space. They have a sense of place, which for me is um, we do have a slight uh, herbal nuance, I would say, with the Cabernets. And it was uh, funny uh, talking to Max Allen just recently uh, about the Tom Cullody, and he was going, I've got this very strange um, herbal character. He goes, it's a savoury. And I said, I reckon it's peppy leaf, um, which is our the peppy trees that we have around here. The, um, it, the Aboriginal name is Wanil. Um, 
but it's a, a gonus flexiosa. It's only found in the southwest of Western Australia. Beautiful old trees, but they have this, you know, when you scrunch the leaves, it's not, it's, it's sort of similar to eucalypt, but it's almost like a peppermint perfume. It is, it's exotic and it's really unusual and it's really beautiful. And I get a sense of that in some of our cabernets. And some people, you know, it sort of leans towards that sort of bay leafy, which is natural for Cabernet. I think Cabernet was made to grow down here because I think Cabernets naturally have a sense of, you know, earth and, um, you know, herbal nuances and ocean smells. But people say there's no uh, Cabernet from other places do not have that sort of ocean ozone freshness about them. So there's all these elements that come into our environment that translate into a bottle of Cabernet that you just feel like you're in Margaret River. So I think it's a, you know, Cabernet defines this region by perfume in more ways than one. Um, And I think Chardonnay is just, um, you know, again, there's, as you say, there's a lot of, um, how many? How much solids do you use? Do you use wild yeast? Do you in barrel? Are you not in barrel? You know. Um, but what I've found is that the ripening pattern of Chardonnay in Margaret River actually has a. It's so great. The clone, I'm a ginger clone. You know, we bang on about it, but apparently it is different from Mendoza, and it's not found anywhere else that we know. Um, but it really suits this climate. And it ripens with beautiful, powerful um, fruit, but without going into that tropical end of the spectrum, you know, holding the citrus lines and beautiful, um, fine perfumes of fruit. But it has this acid line that's incredible. So we get this, the alcohol balance and the acid structure in the Chardonnay just give us this incredibly powerful um, palette and I think that's you know that's the beauty and then you go from a state to a state and I think you know Chardonnay is a classic you know producer 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 who's do you like um, but by the same token that also leans to the who's got the best vineyard plots <laughs> you know because you have to be in the right place for that perfect ripening of that ultimate you know powerful line of acid We've um, we're literally about to. Well, I've actually bottled my first little um, patch of it. Just one little block that we've got in our budget up vineyard that is totally unique to everything any of our other vineyard sections. It's got a, a stronger acid line, and it's almost got like a violet jasmine kind of perfume about it. But it's very very light. You can't put it anywhere near new oak. It loves older oak. Um, but, and it just, and somehow without this new oak influence, it just, it's incredible. And you go, huh, how can we do that? That block loves having some new oak barrels in it, but that one doesn't. Let's just see how that looks all by itself in a bottle. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah. Every little plot's different. And, and, you know, the Hatesbury plots are so rare. There's only a few of those blocks that have that Hatesbury power and weight and the that element of ripeness with the acid line that, you know, fits into our estate Grand Cru status. So that's, you know, they're rare blocks. So just know thy block, I say.
<laughs> so very true. And I love, I, for me, Hatesbury is one of those wines where you pop it to your nose, you put it in your mouth, and you just, the only word you can say is fuck. <laughs> and that's your reaction. You're just like, holy hell, how do I, how do I cope with this wine? Because it's so powerful and so nuanced and so bloody delicious. But what I think is really remarkable about Margarita is that maybe it's the isolation, but in time, I feel maybe because I think we've left Margaret River alone, things like Chardonnay and Cabernet, where it's taken other regions a while to work out their their way with their wine. And like you said, being so attracted to artifact and winemaking and craftsmanship that it's taken a while to fall into their niche. Whereas I feel with Margaret River that they're, that you've figured out what you're all about. And then rather than going, oh, you know, we want um, reductive styles of Chardonnay because that's really fun and that's what everybody wants one day, let's make that. Or with Cabernet, we want this, you know, huge fruit and huge alcohol and all these other things that you've gone the other way and found what just really suits what Margarita does. And it's almost the opposite of what I think um, is trending at the time. Like you said, you know, the Cabernets are so delicate and pretty and they last forever and they've just got so much detail in them. So I feel that Margaret River's in this really good place that just knows what they're doing. They're confident. There's acceptance of exactly what their style is and what suits. And it's, um, it's almost intimidating, I think, for the rest of the Australian wine regions, to be quite honest. <laughs> and I completely understand why people want to block it out and not let people in because it is. It's, it's a slice. <laughs> like, it's just so bloody gorgeous down there. We do, um, we do love visitors, I have to say. <laughs> oh, well, good. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're accepting people back in and that you want people to come and visit because I've always said you go to Margaret River and you never want to leave. It's just one of those places where you can – see yourself being forever um but we want we want tourism back and and one of the things that is a must visit is vast felix like i really feel like the homes of court know what the hell they're doing they've got an incredible winemaker obviously but brendan pat pat your head chef is hugely talented and incredibly creative chef is evan gill your sommelier still there yeah, yeah. He, I have to say, just to you, he is one of the most professional and detailed um, psalms that I've ever met and the ex- service experience I had with him was incredible. I took my husband, he spoke to my husband almost more than I did, which made me really see that he understands hospitality and how to host somebody. Um, and and then you've got these incredible wines. It's just, you know, Vas Felix is a must-do on the list of visiting Margaret River. It really is. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's driven from the, you know, the passion through every single person in, in at Vas Felix. We just, we all love Margaret River. We love the wines we're making. You know, Brendan is, oh, he's the greatest chef I've ever worked with, I guess, you know, from a Vas perspective because he looks to the wine for inspiration, and I've never known a chef to do that. Usually chefs go, oh, yeah, I'll do that dish with that wine. And he's that savoury elements kind of chef, savoury elements with a fruit-based wine. And, oh, my God, he pulls it together so well. And Evan is my beautiful voice. He speaks probably better than I do, I have to say. <laughs> more, way more concisely anyway. And he's got this beautiful gift of language that can talk about it in the in probably a better way than I can, I reckon. Um, it's really it's really lovely. But the passion, you know, 
all of the team's passion for Margaret River and the estate and the wines we make and, you know, it's just everyone's in love. Well, I I completely agree and, and I think you've got, yeah, some really poignant figures um, at, in the right place of Vas Felix and it has become an, a complete institution and I think sums up what Margaret River is all about. Um, I always want to ask if you could only drink three boozy beverages for the rest of your life, Virginia, what would yours be and why? Oh, my God. Uh, wine, wine, wine maybe, but I have to say I have – um, I do have a little passion for grappa and I know it's a funny one but it's from my time in Italy and it conjures those beautiful fun memories of grappa tastings and crazy p- late night parties but it also reminds me because sometimes they have that beautiful sort of smell of the mark, you know, the the skins and that reminds me of vintage you know, and I, as much as I come into vintage nervous and you just stress for, you know, 10 weeks straight, you come out the other end and all the mark piles there and it's about to turn into compost and you just go, ah, that's so good. And quite often when I smell a grappa, it takes me to that moment where vintage is over and it's about to be compost. (laughs) <laughs> oh dear I think that's great because I mean we were just talking about how much memory affects you and and yeah I suppose it's like a job a job complete um and some favorable moments in your life I think that that's classic it's never what I thought you would have said but now that you've told me why it makes complete sense <laughs> excellent but yeah you can't live without wine it's actually a necessity it's not a it's not a want it's a food group it's a food group you have to have <sighs> completely agree with you. You couldn't have said that better. (laughs) It's a must-have of life and it's a sad little place without it, I tell you what. Virginia, it's been such a pleasure to have some of your valuable time. I could listen to you talk forever. Um, We love what you do, uh, you and the team do at Vast Felix. I really hope to see you in the flesh sometime. Thank you so much for um, being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's been great to have a chat. I'm hoping to be able to travel very soon. <laughs> I'm crossing all my fingers for you and, and to, for anyone to leave Margaret River is a miracle. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, the border's open, but then we had to get through vintage. So, you know, we'll be, we'll be leaving soon, I'm sure. Oh, well, we can't wait to see you on our side and uh, bring some of that sunshine with you if you can. <laughs> yeah, I, indeed. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having a chat this morning. Thanks, Virginia. Cheers to you. Okay, bye. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Over a Glass Pod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.